Have you ever walked past a dumpster and been like, yo, I wonder what's in that dumpster? I can put on these glasses. Let's start eating that trash can. You're listening to the True Crime Dumpster Podcast with hosts Amy and... And I'm Kevin. And we're coming back at you later than anticipated, but with episode number 80, Eric Smith. The big A-O. So how are you doing, Kevin? You know, pretty good. It rained today, so that's the big news. Yeah, we live in California, so that's why it's seriously like the first day of rain this year or something crazy like that. There has not been that many days of rain. No, there has not, and it rained like a motherfucker. It was great. There's been a lot going on. And also, like, at my school, it's just constantly, it's kids making fake well they're not even fake that's kids making mean instagram accounts of so that like dude talk about true crime they make these accounts and then they like encourage kids to direct message them pictures of kids doing bad things or sleeping in class or eating there was even like kids like going to the bathroom like where they were like encouraging kids to take pictures over the bathroom stall of other kids and then if you wanted get this okay that is a true crime and then if you wanted to get your picture taken down you had to spend $15 to someone's cash app and it's like all anonymous and there's no paper trail there's no even like IP trail or anything because it's all anonymous social media stuff that's like instagram epstein shit dude and then on top of that there's like a shooting threat tomorrow at school it's just we're <sighs> so kids my, my your job best. his my job Sorry, for the last funny. couple weeks aside from trying to teach is trying to get kids to snitch on each other and like offering them lunch to like try to find whoever you know started this stupid thing it's haven't crazy. they heard that snitches get stitches i snitches get lunch from me <laughs> Wow, that's not. Yeah, that's what I told them. I'm like, Times I know, have changed. I, I, that's know all I know. Times have snitches changed. Snitches get lunch. Wow. Yeah. What a good time to be a snitch. It, in school, but yeah. So tomorrow's the shooting threat. So like half of the school isn't going to be there. I'm still going to be there. We'll see. Ugh. So, yeah. So good stuff. happy holidays. Good stuff. Yeah. Happy holidays. <laughs> it feels like a dumpster fire. Um. So you know what else is a dumpster fire? What? What else? Eric Smith. I heard his hair was a bit of a dumpster fire. It's the same color as a dumpster fire. It's the same color as a dumpster fire. But we're going to talk about him and... And and the relevancy to talking about him right now, because this is this is a case that happened back in the early 90s. Some of you may be familiar with the schmarmy little... Is schmarmy a word? Yeah, I don't think you're saying it right. Smarmy? Smarmy? I don't know. He's just got this little shit-eating grin. And you'll know what I mean. Just a smirk. I think the word is. I think I want smirk. If you Google a picture of Eric Smith from when he was 13 years old on trial, he's got the, like, kind of, like, classic child molester glasses. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yes. Computer fix-it guy in the 80s. Like, he's got those glasses. Yeah. He's got really low ears, and they're really big. foot-long guy in the 90s. (laughs) And then he's got, like, this shock of red hair. And he just looks like a dickhead. He like the stereotypical redhead, right? Yes. Okay. And 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 we'll talk about how he potentially was a little messed up looking. There may be a reason behind that. So 
we'll get there. So in this episode, I'm going to be doing most of it. And Kevin, (laughs) you will get to speak all of the parts that come straight from Eric Smith's mouth. So anytime that you're kind of talking in your podcaster voice, it's because it's a direct quote from Eric Smith. Is that correct? That's what I've been instructed. I'm going to do my best to sound like a freakish looking redhead. This case takes place in Savona, New York. The population as of 2020, 672. That's small. Yeah. That is down from 748 in 2019. So I don't know what happened during the pan. Well, that wasn't even the pandemic year. That was just like, they lost like an, like a seventh of their population from in a year. From boom to bust. I know. What the heck? And there was only like nine people. If you Google the Google reviews, like if you. If, if you uh, Google the Google reviews. <laughs> okay. Cut that. If you Google Savona, New York, the Google reviews that come up. You know how many stars they get? One half. One. Oh. They get one star. You can't you can't give less than one star. So there is a one star rating on Google reviews that's based on three reviews. One said that traffic stops suck there. Apparently they take a long time. And second, I guess somebody had a bad court case because they said that the judge sucked in that town as well. That's that's my favorite reason to give a, a town a bad review. Yeah. This is a traffic stop. Yeah, this court sucks. There was, there was nothing. There was nothing about the actual town in the reviews. So in 1993, as you can imagine, very very small place. I couldn't find the exact population in 1993, but I'm assuming it's around six seven hundred. Just so you know, there weren't a lot of places. So I think that this place still exists. King's Grocery on East Lamoca Avenue. At the time, there was only one traffic light. And that was at the intersection of routes 415 and 226. And the kids all walked down McCoy Street to go to the summer recreation program at Concert Field. When I say like the field, the grocery store, the light, there's one of each in this (laughs) town. So, I mean, literally everybody knew everybody. It was hard not to know someone in the town because everybody had to walk down the same street to get to the same field. Everybody had to drive to the one traffic light to the one grocery store in town. It was not easy to find a lot of information about the victim, Derek Roby, who is four years old. But I did get most of my information from a 1994 Los Angeles Times piece by Ben Dobbin. And so I just want to give props to him because without his article, I probably wouldn't have been able to find much on Derek Roby, which I think is really, really important when we're talking about victims of violent crimes is talking about the victim's life and how it mattered. So let's talk about four-year-old Derek. He was, quote, ebullient, precocious, doted on by all who knew him, a ripper of a kid in short sleeves and suspenders with a mop of blonde hair and a mischievous grin. He would dig for worms after rainstorms. Once he got them lined up on the back porch and would name them mommy, daddy, brother, and baby, he'd give each worm a kiss. As he should. Isn't that the sweetest? Derek loved baseball, cooking, helping unscrew lug nuts off of a car wheel, hoarding hickory nuts in his coat pocket. As much of a boy as he was, said his father, he was very gentle with things. No one admired Derek more than his little brother, Dalton. They played together a lot, and Derek read him green eggs and ham every bedtime. 27-year-old Doreen Roby, who is Derek's mother, she over and over again in her head wonders how it could have happened. During that summer, 
Derek went to a summer recreation program run by the village in a field at the bottom of their dead-end street three days a week. On August 2nd, 1993, she was getting ready to take her son Derek to his recreation program. However, she also just had a new infant son who was being fussy, which we know about fussy infants. So she let her eager four-year-old walk by himself. Because, you know, what could happen in just a couple hundred feet from home to the park? Can you imagine? That would be the shittiest feeling. Think about four-year-old Abigail. And she's dying to get to the neighbor's house just a couple houses down. And finally, we're like, okay, you go, you go. And then she's just gone forever. I hope we never experience I, Well, that. Abigail will never be by herself ever again. She's being watched by grandma and grandpa right now so we can record this. I can't. I ugh. like we've covered Johnny Gosh and, you know, all of these kids. And it's just no, that's not going to happen to our little girl. So Derek was about halfway down the block when he encountered 13-year-old Eric Smith. So Eric had already been kicked out of the park day camp after being told to leave due to his, quote, bad behavior. He was riding his bike home, presumably very pissed off because, like I said, he had been kicked out that day already. Later on, he would admit that he was, quote, annoyed and irritated. Eric enticed Derek with a secret a shortcut to the park so literally he sees little Derek and he's like hey kid come over here and this little kid is like on his way to the park Eric lured Derek into a patch of brush and high grass behind Mary Davidson's house he then choked and beat him to death using a 26 pound rock on his head he dropped it on his head numerous times that's super savage Later on, Eric would reveal that he also sodomized Derek with a stick to ensure he was really dead. The cause of death was determined to be blunt trauma to the head with contributing asphyxia. Eric said Derek was not a target, but rather an opportunity to release the anger he had built up inside. Derek's body was found that night. So the night of like August 2nd. And man... His parents could not sleep. They couldn't eat. They they said that after like 48 hours, they had to be drugged to be able to go to sleep. They just, they were so distraught. And so they, little tiny town, there was this insane manhunt because it obviously had to be somebody from the community. Six or seven days after Derek's body was found, Eric went to his parents, I think it was his mother, and said, I did it. Could you fucking imagine your 13-year-old son coming up to you and being like, hey, you know that four-year-old kid down the street? I killed him. I cannot imagine that. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of things that are unimaginable in this story. And so what happened is then I think that they had one last family dinner together and then she called the cops and they came and picked him up. That's... I know. I know. So... Who is Eric Smith and why did he do this? In his own words. I had a learning disability and I went from kindergarten to pre-first and then first grade. And then in fourth grade, I failed because I didn't do homework for seven months. So they held me back. So at the time of my incarceration, I was going into sixth grade. In 1989, Eric strangled a neighbor's cat with a garden hose. 
Two years later, when a schoolmate died in a car crash, he called the teenager's family on a few occasions asking to speak to him. Like to fucking taunt the family. This guy's just a cunt. I know. Dr. Stephen Herman, a child psychiatrist hired by the defense, said in a preliminary report that Eric suffered from depression, nicotine addiction from smoking, and a mental disorder that causes periodic explosive outbursts. He was 13, right? Yeah. He was addicted to cigarettes already? I guess it's not that rare. But I don't think that's going to contribute to murder. I don't know. I've heard of I'm nicotine no fits, but you what? I'm not a smoker. You've heard of nicotine fits? Yeah. It's like when someone craves a fucking cigarette. Oh, oh, I didn't know. Yeah. I've never heard of that. Eric Smith spent most of his childhood living with his grandparents. After some time, Eric was diagnosed with the intermittent explosive disorder. God. Sounds like diarrhea to me. Like diarrhea, yeah. Intermittent explosive disorder in his childhood days. I'm pretty sure that I have students that would probably fall under that category. From the stories you tell me, I would have to agree. Yeah, I've had probably many, but that's I'd never heard of that before. According to the psychiatrist, intermittent explosive disorder is a disorder that causes individuals to be violent and involved in unpredictable acts. After a medical exam, on Eric, it was found out that Eric's brain and hormones were functioning properly. I think that, you know, obviously when a killer is that young, there has to be a reason. And I mean, we're going to go into the reasoning, but I think that like they, they almost hope like, let's, let's hope that this kid's brain is fucked. You know what I mean? Cause otherwise. Is it nature versus nurture or something like that? Yeah. yeah. But it's like, God, you would hope that he's brain damaged. Yeah. Who? Why? Here's my son, Jason Voorhees. <laughs> yeah. He's a little weird. So there was also some abuse in his life. You know, after some investigation and interviews by neighbors, residents characterized his stepfather, Ted Smith, as an aggressive physical man who was embarrassed by his stepson, a failure both athletically and academically. Ted Smith admitted that he molested. Oh, God. This part is like weird because it wasn't mentioned in a lot of things. And it seems like the father didn't like serve any time for this. So, yeah, it's 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 a weird mention because it didn't mention like any prison follow up or anything. So it said that Ted Smith admitted that he molested Eric's older sister, but denied ever sexually abusing Eric. He said an uncle tried to sexually abuse him as a youth, but he rejected the advance. So it's just the way that molestation and sexual advances in the family, like how it's kind of just nonchalantly out there. It's just fucking weird. His mother is Tammy Smith. It is believed that the use of an anti-epilepsy drug while she was pregnant with Eric made him more vulnerable to trauma and that he'd have more difficulty resolving it. So I don't know, I didn't find any medical reports that said there anything, but it was just kind of reported in a lot of sources that she took a drug that maybe affected him. In one podcast that I listened to from True Crime All the Time, they mentioned that it could have maybe even had like physical like ramifications on his like body. Like that's why he looks so strange is from the anti-epilepsy drug that the woman was taking when she was pregnant with him. I don't know that and I've never heard of that before, but 
So was he actually physically deformed, like he had like three butt cheeks or something? No. I mean, have you seen a picture of him? I've tried not to. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to. Um, his ears are really big and low on his head. Like oh, they're kind of, of abnormally guys. low. Gotcha. And like he's got a scrunched up little face. And Zika. Like, no. Pre-Zika. Zika. I guess one of the reasons I'm being like somewhat... I don't know. I'm trying to like, I believe in rehabilitation. I believe in second chances, but damn, it's really hard to in this case. And, and as we will see later on, he's going to be given a second chance. And so we'll talk about that in a little bit, but that's why I think I'm just kind of hesitating on totally being mean to this guy, but he, he did murder a four-year-old kid. So I'll, I'll keep going, but I just wanted to point that out. And like I hear in a lot of podcasts, what they say is that like you feel bad for the kid killer version of themselves. You don't feel bad for the adult. But in this case, the kid is the the killer. Him as a kid, like it's not like he was a grown up that went and did this horrible thing. He's a child. 13 is barely, barely a teenager. You know, it's, he's in so this sixth guy's still grade. Alive. Yeah, he's in sixth grade at this point. Could you imagine, like, what were the, what were you doing in sixth grade? Uh, listening to Motley Crue and skateboarding, I think. Like, did it even cross your mind to hurt another thing? No. Exactly. Like, that's why I, I guess I kind of want to give it to this guy because I, you must be in sev some severe pain or trauma to, to even think about harming or killing another thing. You know, I don't know. I just, I don't know how I feel about this guy. <laughs> I mean, he's a piece of shit, but unless he has been doing some, in which we will talk about, fucking performing miracles, then I know how I feel about this guy. So, Doctor Stephen Herman, the child and adolescent psychiatrist who interviewed Eric, like I mentioned earlier, he wrote that Eric's stepfather probably hit Eric much more than he admits, and that the discipline in the family was quite harsh and quite physical. Dr. Herman also remarked, Eric has always denied that he was sexually abused, but I don't know for sure. The nature of what he did to Derek Roby makes me wonder whether something really happened to him or not. So Eric was tried as an adult, which is pretty crazy, seen as how 13 to 18 is a pretty big leap. Big, yeah. So he was tried as an adult, which I, I have issue with that. I yeah, understand that... it was an adult action. Absolutely. But he is a kid. Like a fucking kid. With red hair. With red hair. Yeah. And you know how I feel about gingers. <laughs> but like, I, I think that right there, there's something wrong with that. And, you know, obviously the Supreme Court decision to, there was like a Supreme Court decision, I would say in the early 2000s or something. They basically said you can't give kids life sentences or like death sentences. Like that's unconstitutional. But there were certain cases where they were like, yeah, no, that kid needs to stay in. So the court systems had to go back and relook at cases to see if that conviction would stick or not. And for this for this guy, I'll leave my a lot of my major thoughts for the end, but I, I don't think he should have gotten a life sentence. And he doesn't. And we'll talk about it. So like I said, Eric was tried as an adult, whether I like it or not. And he was convicted of second degree murder following a 1994 trial in Steuben County Court. 
He was sentenced to nine years to life in prison and was housed in a juvenile facility until 2001 when he was transferred to a state prison. He first became eligible for parole in 2002, remember, just nine years after the crime. While in jail, Eric wrote an apology letter to Derek's family. He read it on public television. I know my actions have caused a terrible loss in the Roby family, and for that, I am truly sorry. I've tried to think as much as possible about what Derek will never experience. His 16th birthday, Christmas, anytime, owning his own house, graduating, going to college, getting married, his first child. If I could go back in time, I would switch places with Derek and endure all the pain I've caused him. If it meant that he would go on living, I'd switch places, but I can't. So the reason that we're discussing this case today is because after 10 separate times, so that is every other year he became eligible for parole. So 10 times he was up for parole. And you know that each time he is up for parole, do you know who has to be there as well? The Roby family. Exactly. So they have to endure seeing this fuckface. They have to endure going to those parole hearings to make sure that he isn't out, right? Because there's a good chance that if he's out, he's going to return to this tiny ass place that the Roby family still lives in, too. So if you can imagine being in line at the one grocery store in town, and then you turn around and there's that murderer right there, like that would be too much. Like it would be different if he lived in New York, New York versus Savona, New York. Yes. So... Ten separate times, this family has had to endure going to the parole board and making sure that what they perceive as a monster, and, you know, maybe he is a monster, I don't know, but what they perceive as a monster who stole away their little baby, right? They have to go and make sure that he isn't allowed out. But after 28 years of incarceration, on the 10th time that he went to the parole board, He was approved for parole on October 5th of this year with a release set right before Thanksgiving. Crazy, right? Yeah. I mean... I wonder what changed. I mean, like, murder... Yeah, exactly. So that's a great question because we're going to talk about what changed. Like, what are the things that he said to the parole board that finally on that 10th time got them to say, you know what, we're going to give you a second chance. Mm -hmm. I'm sure it happens more often than I'm aware of it. You know, I know of a lot of true crime cases, but it's fairly rare to hear about murderers being let go. I just, it probably happens way more often than I know. But regardless of what I know or don't know, he was let out. So when asked by the parole board at his October hearing why he committed the brutal act, Smith said it was a culmination of years of emotional abuse by his father and merciless bullying by classmates. So I listened to and, and, you know, I read many articles and listened to in little clips here and there. Like, it sounds like it was bad. He said it didn't get super violent, but they did, you know, beat him up and they always made fun of the way he looked and he had very, very, very low self-esteem. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah, it does. So he said, I left the pavilion and rode my bike and he was walking to the pavilion. When I had seen him, the first thought I had was I want to hurt him. Eric told the parole board. He went on to describe the attack on Derek in graphic detail and said, I was scared that he was going to get up and tell somebody that I had hurt him. 
and when I checked, I could still feel his heart was beating, and it scared me because I thought he was going to tell. Ugh. As to why, after years of reflection, looking back at who I was then and what was going on, I essentially became the bully that I disliked in my life. Eric told the parole board. I was constantly targeted for being weaker, smaller, and I became the bully toward Derek, and he didn't deserve it. My dad, he was emotionally and psychologically abusive, so I was walking on eggshells any time I was around him. He verbally put everyone down, whether it was me, my sister, my mom, and he would just make us feel really low. And why were you bullied, a board member asked. My ears, my glasses, being short, my red hair, pretty much all of those, if not one, and a cumulative of all of them. Eric also revealed to the parole board that he's engaged to be married, which also helps with um, your release from prison if you have like a plan. So he's engaged to be married, get this, to a lawyer who was studying the juvenile justice system that he met in December 2019. She was a lawyer visiting the jail doing some research and like fell in love with him i i don't know anyways no judgment but totally judging you and he has been working toward a degree in crusade evangelism i didn't look that up but it sounds religious (laughs) yeah it sounds religious and he plans to further his education in the future upon release so the crusades happened like 300 years ago, right? So he's into that strain Is he of like a Knight Templar, like a role-playing role LARPer? I, I don't know. It sounds made up, but it got him out of prison. He's so. still alive. I can ask him. Yeah, he's younger than you. Sorry. You I didn't me mean that to be sound- a total yeah. slight, but... At least I don't have red hair. He's 41. Isn't that crazy? Harsh. He's way younger than he, me. He could like have a full life. He could have kids and shit. Isn't that crazy? Like, that doesn't seem fair. If you think about it, the four-year-old Derek, if he was alive today, oh God, I haven't done the math, but he would, he he should be having kids, having a future, doing all these things. But in exchange, the murderer of him gets to do all of those things. Like, he will get married. He will potentially have children. He might have a career. He's going to be able to further his education. He's going to be able to hang out He's with his fucking family. He's going to be a crusading family. evangelist. He's going to be a crusader wow. for evangelism. <laughs> I guess I said that weird. Yeah. Well, one thing that I've learned in all of my years being 45. on this planet and being so old is that life is not fair. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah. Be grateful for what you have, I guess, and um, live in the now. That's Papa Kevin's don't advice kill to all you. Well, yeah, unless they're coming at you. Eric told the parole board at his recent hearing that he also has participated in numerous programs and counseling during his years in prison. Eric also told the board that he plans to continue his education and he wants to earn both a bachelor's and master's degree. That's that's good. They also noted that he has only been cited three times for disciplinary things during his confinement with the last one occurring in 2005. So he's kept a totally clean slate for 16 years. Board members asked Eric what revelations he's gained during his years of incarceration. 
Eric said that he never really learned the value of life when he was growing up. And he later realized that he did more than just stop Derek's heart from beating on August 2nd, 1993. The insight I've gained while incarcerated for taking Derek is that Derek himself could have been a doctor who may have invented a new technique to make heart surgery more effective in individual lives. He could have been a lawyer. He could have been a teacher, causing more students to be better men and women as they get older. All the different things that he could have done professionally in those areas I took from him because of my own selfishness and wanting to lash out instead of speaking to someone who could have given me insight. If given the opportunity to speak to Derek's parents, Dalen, Doreen, Roby, he said he would say, I would try to convey to them that I understand the reasons why I ended up hurting their son and essentially killing him in hopes that they individually or as a family could understand. I'm not the same person, and while that in itself doesn't take away their anguish and pain, I would hope to convey to them that while I am remorseful, I realize the depths to some extent because I can't really fully understand the depth of how Derek's mom feels. I can never fully understand the depth of how Derek's father feels. Eric also expressed hope that at some point, the Robies might be able to forgive him. Even though I don't deserve that. So what's next for Eric Smith? Dale and Doreen Roby opposed Eric's release every time he came up for parole, all those 10 times and used their son's murder to push for stricter limits on parole hearings. God, every other year is fucking insane. Including requiring felony offenders to wait five years rather than the current two between hearings. When the parole board decided to grant Eric's release, Dale, Roby, and his family had no comment. The board tentatively set November 17th for Eric's release from custody at the Woodburn Correctional Facility in Sullivan County, but that didn't take place quite yet. Smith does not have an approved residence, according to a statement from the State Department of Corrections and Community Supervision, which said he was still incarcerated recently. The department will continue to work with Eric on identifying an approvable residence. So on the list of like approved, like on the list of addresses that Eric came up with, he put down his mom's address, who I believe still lives in Savona. And like I said, in 2020, the population of that place is 648. And if the Roby family still lives there, or I mean, like this collectively as a community, this affected everyone, you know, and, and, and yeah, there totally. are stories of the boogeyman, you know, I'm sure. So even young kids know who this guy is. So him returning that community, they're like, fuck no, uh-uh, we don't want him, you know? And so it has kind of gummed up his release is like, he basically admits that he doesn't have a plan other, you know, than being engaged and wanting to live with his mom. He doesn't really have a plan after getting out because they can't approve of his residence. He also said that he has certificates in both carpentry fabrication and electrical installation and will probably look for work in those fields. So he has a fiance, he has job prospects, and he has a potential residence, but it's it can't be in, in Savona. That's what I that's what I think is gumming up his release. Eric also assured the board that regardless of his past anger issues and volatility, he is no longer a danger to society. 
what I lacked at 13 in terms of expressing myself and being consistent in expressing myself, I've gained, and I'm not a threat. The 13-year-old kid that took Derek's life and had so many things going on internally with him at the time is not the man sitting in front of you talking. I still have some skills to learn through communication, but I have come a long way, and I'm still going to grow and still going to learn. But I assure you that if you were to give me the chance, I would not only prove that I'm not a threat, I would definitely be an asset to society. So that's it. That's where the case stands right now. I mean, it sounds like he's going to be released really soon. He's got a sister who did. She's been doing interviews recently with local news stations and stuff. She seems lovely. And she is she has mixed feelings about his release. But what's interesting is I don't think she lives in Savona, the sister, but I don't think she wants Derek living with her. I mean, it. she didn't say it directly, but in the interview, she was like, yep, don't know what's going to happen with him. Da, da, da. You know, like <laughs> she was just like, I'm happy my brother's getting out. But like, I, I think she kind of worries about the quality of his life. Now, you know, he's been behind bars literally his entire life. That's going to be a huge adjustment. Yeah. And, and I, you know, I don't blame her for maybe not wanting to be a part of that, you know, directly. You know, being the victim of bullies and abuse, you yeah, know, and being in his, bullied by his stepfather, yeah, and being abused by his stepfather. You know that all of that would just make your head, and you're 13, and you have. Hormones, huge ears, and red hair. Yeah, like you're gonna be just fucked in the head, and so I can understand. I mean, that's with you know, a lot of people that get abused as kids turn into abusers because that's how like they. But it's like, not the overwhelming majority. Okay. Yeah. But it's but, still. A but thing. it happens. Yeah. And so, it's because they feel powerless, and the only way they feel power is to hurt something physically, yeah, like smaller take control of another being and so like i i understand it i don't condone it the stick in the butt that's crossing the line there buddy but well, uh, i mean the murder is i mean everything he crosses the line everywhere right but that was a long time ago and also again the prefrontal cortex of your brain isn't fully developed i think until you're like mid to late 20s or not even mid to uh, early to mid 20s and i think it's even later for boys you know like he still had another at least 10 years to go until his brain was fully developed i mean what i wish would have happened and we talk about this all the time it's a big theme is that like if he had some sort of outlet i think one time when he tried to go to his stepfather because he would go to his parents and say hey i'm being bullied his stepdad just said go out and punch a tree and so he would go out and like punch trees until his you know knuckles were bloody his and it, stepdad and it does, would probably kick his ass if he came home saying i was bullied and, and you know, you know and he probably did often and it's just like getting these mixed messages of like if you're angry get violent you know and if you're angry fuck you you know it's just like what like why aren't you helping me yeah so like i've said and you know that's why you know i had some refrain throughout the episode is that I know that he's going to be released, you know? And so it's like, regardless of what I believe, he's out. So yeah, whether we like it or not, he's out. And I feel really bad for the Roby family. 
and I hope that they're doing okay. And I hope that wherever Eric is able to be released to, I hope it's nowhere fucking near them at all. Yeah, I, it definitely sucks for them. And I just hope that uh, that Eric is actually rehabilitated and um, I I want to believe I want to believe he has. I hope I his marriage goes well and. Uh, I, I know it's it, people can turn around. You yeah, know? I actually do wish him the best, but it it doesn't change the fact that he did take a life and he was a monstrous individual for a while. I really, truly hope he has changed. And that's why we're bringing this episode, because it's a Christmas miracle. I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm not even joking. I really, really hope that he isn't a piece of shit anymore. It sounds like he's had a lot of time to think about what he's done. 28 years. Yeah. So that's it for this week. You can join our True Crime Dumpster Facebook group. You can follow us on Twitter, TC Dumpster, and on Instagram, True Crime Dumpster. Listen to our show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Podbean, Spotify, YouTube, and many other platforms. Don't forget to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends about our podcast. Every review, rating, and referral helps us to get to a larger audience. Tune in next time as we continue talking out the trash. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 